If you brought a Bible with you tonight, I want you to open to several places with me, first of all. And we're going to lay a foundation this evening that is going to carry through us throughout the rest of this weekend. And I want you to go to the book of 1 John chapter 3. And you can also find John chapter 14. 1 John 3 and John chapter 14. You ever been carried away? You ever just gotten so totally carried away with something that you were one way one day and another way the next? You ever had anybody tell you before, you have just gotten so carried away with this, you've gotten so carried away with your thinking about this or you're talking about that or whatever it is. Does anybody know the feeling of, of having been carried away? You've just gotten carried away. I just got carried away. You got so into it and you just couldn't quit doing whatever it was. You were so into that. I don't know why this comes to mind. Puzzle or, <laughs> sorry, that's not relevant, I guess. You were so into whatever it was you were doing that you just got what? Carried away with it and you lost all track of time. You, lo you just you forgot what you were doing before that. You forgot everything else around you. Why? Because you got what? Carried away. Are you still with me? Is it, is it late in Arkansas? Are we on the same time as Texas? It's still, it's still only 8.30, right? Wow, okay. You're not carried away yet, but you're getting there. Let me tell you about a time I got carried away. Wednesday, March 7th, 2007, I met this girl. She had long brown, brown hair, bright blue eyes, absolutely the most beautiful girl I had ever seen. She walked into this restaurant where I was sitting. Now I had gone to her hometown to meet her, but I didn't know she knew it. See, somebody, my cousin, told her that I was coming to meet her. Because see, I had just seen the picture of this girl. I had seen a picture of this girl maybe six or eight months before that. That's all I'd ever seen. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I just got so carried away, just even just with the picture of this girl. I mean, this picture sat on my cousin's desk at work and I would come back daily. Somebody say daily. And pretend that I was interested in talking to my cousin, Rachel. Now, she's a wonderful girl and she's a very interesting girl and I'm sure very lovely to talk to. I wanted to look at the picture. I was there to look at the picture. Now, in case anybody is wondering, yes, the picture was of Sarah. I need to, we, that's clear? Okay. And, I mean, you can't really know a person from a picture, but I just looked at this picture so much that I started to get a little bit carried away. And um, thank God for Facebook. And I went online and started looking around and trying to look at her Facebook, but some of you people have your Facebook set to where only some of your friends can see it. So what I had to do was go to my cousin Rachel and say, hey, can I log in as you? Because you're friends with Sarah. And if I log in as you, then I can see Sarah's pictures and I can just keep looking at this girl who I've never met, never spoken with, and as far as I know, doesn't even know I exist. I was getting just a little bit carried away. And um, the Lord had really put some things in my heart about this girl. I'll just come out and say it. Before I even met her, the Lord's like, you're going to marry this girl. And I was like, cool, she's beautiful. I'm into that. Let's do it. I can, <laughs> I can handle that. And um, I was actually uh, in prayer one Wednesday uh, afternoon before um, preaching at youth group that night. I was a youth pastor at the time. This was like late in the year 2006, maybe right at the beginning of 2007. And I was praying one day and trying to pray about church. 
trying to pray about, God, what do you want me to preach to these young people? Give me a word for the teenagers. And all I could think about was this girl in the picture. All I could think about was the girl in the picture. And I was like, no, get out of my mind, girl in the picture. I must pray about church. God, give me a word for church. And this must have gone on and on and on. And finally, I just said, okay, Lord, you want to talk about Sarah? Let's talk about Sarah. And just in about an hour's time, I got up from that prayer time knowing this very simply, very calmly, but very, in a very real way, I'm going to meet her in March and marry her in September. I just knew it. I don't know how to explain that. I just knew that. And um, my grandparents were doing a victory campaign, a three-day meeting at her church in Branson in March. So I called my grandparents and said, I feel really led that I am supposed to go with you to this meeting. I just, God wants me there. Bad. Can I get a ride with you? Yeah, come on, let's go. Wednesday, March 7th. I arrive in Branson. I actually went with my mom and we're sitting at a restaurant eating and it's just the two of us until the girl in the picture walked into the room. And I said, see you, mom. I'm gonna go hang out with them tonight. And she was there with my cousin. And here's the deal. Here's where it really started getting bad, just really bad. There was a whole group of people at Sarah's house that night. I went with Sarah and my cousin over to meet her family and hang out at her house. Her, what you got to understand about my in-laws who are in here somewhere, um, what you got to understand about them is their house is just like Grand Central sometimes. And people, young people, that was one of the first things I found out about them. There's just people in the house coming and going all the time. And there were so many people in the house that night and over the next three days because we were there for a three-day meeting. And I was with Sarah every moment that I was not in the meeting. I was with her or at her house. And there was always constantly people there. But because I was getting so carried away, I didn't know any of them were there. As far as I was concerned, she was the only one in the room. And they kind of make fun of us when they look back on that time because they, they, they really poke fun at us. We just sat there and just looked at each other and just talked to each other. And that first night that we met, we, we hung out at the house for a while. And I was like, well, it's getting late. I need a ride back to my hotel. Sarah, can you take me? And uh, so she takes me back to the hotel. We're sitting in her car out in front of the lobby. Well-lit area, just so you know. Um, <laughs> And we just sat there and we talked. This is the first day we met. We talked till one o'clock in the morning. Somebody say getting carried away. Okay, so then the next day comes and we're in the group again and I'm just oblivious to everybody and everything but her. Why? Because I'm getting carried away with this girl. I'm gonna marry this girl who I met yesterday. And uh, we all, after the meeting, end up over at her parents' house again Again, 30 people all downstairs talking to each other, playing and stuff. And here's me and Sarah. Uh-huh. Oh, I like that too. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Oh, I like your jeans. You like my jeans? It's just stupid talking about everything, talking about nothing, oblivious to anyone and everything. Why? Because we're getting carried away. And I think, I need to ride back to my hotel tonight. Sarah, can you take me? We sat out in that same spot till three o'clock in the morning, just talking to each other, just getting to know each other. Talking about what, you may ask. I don't even know. Nothing, everything. I don't know. Just talking. Next day, same exact thing. I need a ride back. We sat in front of that dadgum hotel till five o'clock in the morning. Just talking to each other. I promise, just talking. We were only talking. (laughs) And 
I got on an airplane, I guess the next night and came home. And, and my, my approach to this, now you gotta understand something. And I'm not trying to give you like a whole like window into my soul and my past, but relationships were just something I was not great at. Just had a lot of them that just fell apart in bad ways and was not great at it, you know, and had gotten really hurt and been a part of other people's hurt and just didn't like that. So I go in to this, having heard the Lord say this to me months ago, meet her in March, marry her in September. Now I will say this, in that time between like December and March, I'm going, what are you thinking? You think you're going to go meet some girl and she's the girl you're going to marry? So, so, in that span of time, I sort of talked myself out of it. We're going to play it cool, right? We're going to be calm about this. We're going to take this slowly. We're just going to get to know one another. Somewhere about the 36th hour on the phone, all of that had gone out the window. I was home the next day and on the phone with her every night till the wee hours of the morning, night after night after night after night. And as soon as she could get on a plane, she came to Fort Worth. We hung out for a few days. As soon as I could get on a plane, I'd go back to Branson and hang out with her. And three months from the time we met, I proposed. She said yes. Three months after that, we were married. We met in March and got married in September. Now, what happened in all of that? Because none of that is normal. You understand that, right? <clears throat> none of that is normal. As a matter of fact, I remember coming home. I got home uh, late Saturday night, and I remember Sunday afternoon, I walked into my friend's house, my best friend and his wife, who I just had free reign in their house. I just walk into the house, didn't say anything to them. All I did was I said, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. <laughs> I'm in love, I'm in love. What happened to taking it slow? I don't know, I got carried away. I got so absolutely carried away. And I remember telling a guy at work, good friend of mine, I was like, man, I met somebody. I met somebody. She's amazing. Oh, this girl is amazing. And just went on and on and on about her. When you feel that way about someone or something, it's never enough just to say one or two things about them. Have you found that to be true? And just went on and on. And you know what he said to me? And I know his heart was right and I know it was good, but he, he basically said, now, now just take it easy. You know, don't get carried away. Don't get carried away but it was too late for me. I was, I was already neck deep and halfway down the river, man. I was getting carried away with this girl. And it turned out to be wonderful. And, and somebody says, well, why, why, would you, why would you do that? Why would you spend hours and hours on the phone like that? Because falling in love is more fun than eight hours of sleep. Anybody ever been there? Getting carried away like that is so much more fun. And the reason I take time to want you to identify with that is because that right there is the purpose of this weekend. Not that you would fall in love with Sarah. Don't know, you misunderstood me. <clears throat> She's spoken for, but the purpose of this weekend is that you and I would go before the word of God, come into the presence of God and just get absolutely carried away with Jesus absolutely carried away with Jesus. You know, you and I ought to feel and believe a certain way about Jesus that is normal to a point, 
But your convictions about him and what you believe about him and how good you believe him to be carries you past the point of normal where people step back and go, are you sure about that? And you go, yes, absolutely, a thousand thousand percent sure Jesus is that good. I am that in love with him because he is that in love with me. Just getting carried away. And when people ask you, don't you think you're getting a little carried away with this church stuff and this, this Jesus thing and this word Bible thing? And you say, absolutely, I am getting so carried away with it. I'm reprioritizing everything. Things that used to matter don't matter anymore. Sleep is somewhere down further on the list than it used to be. I'm getting carried away. So tonight, let's just take a look at a few scriptures. And I want to show you from the word of God where the Spirit of God gets carried away with Jesus. Would you like to see that tonight? 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. This is the foundation of this conference in this time together. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, or look at this, pay attention. How many of you, by a quick show of hands, have used the word behold in your everyday communication sometime in the last day or so? Can I see your hands? No? None? You didn't, you didn't, I'm going to behold, that doesn't count. <laughs> and it's really ironic to me that, that the Lord would instruct us to have a conference. This is our second annual Behold Conference. It's a little bit ironic and, and in, in the beginning a little frustrating that here we are endeavoring to be relevant and endeavoring to be, you know, uh, appealing to a certain culture and all of that. And the Lord says, here, name your conference Behold. I'm gonna give you a word nobody uses anymore and most people don't even know what it means. And let's see how relevant you can be to the culture. In other words, none of that stuff seems to matter to him too much. He said, call this thing behold, why? Because that word, even though we don't use it that much, is still very relevant to us. What's it mean? Look at this, right? Behold. You and I climb, a top, climb up to a top, the top of a mountain and you're standing on one side, I'm standing on the other. I see something looking out this direction that you don't see, but I want you to. Behold would be an appropriate word, wouldn't it? Behold. Let me show you this. Come look at what I see that you don't yet see, but I want you to see. This, mean, this word means wake up to this. Pay attention to this. Behold. And it's significant, especially when the word of God uses it, especially when Jesus uses it. How many of you believe that Jesus, is it slightly possible that Jesus sees something you don't see yet? Do you believe he wants you to see it? Then behold. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Behold the love. Get your eyes onto the love of God. Get your focus onto the love of God. Why is this so important? Because you and I are becoming what we are beholding. I'll say it again. You and I are right now becoming whatever we are beholding. And everything in your life, whether you realize it or not, is simply a response. You are either responding to God and his word or you are responding to the world and its failing system all around you. But either way, you are responding to whatever you are beholding. And whatever you are beholding, you will become. Behold 
what manner of love. Get your eyes off of what hurts and get it onto love. Get your eyes off of the need, off of the lack, and put it over here on love. Start focusing and paying attention to and waking up to how much your Father loves you. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And we are. That's what the Amplified Bible adds. And we are. We are the children of God. Why? Because he called you his child. Behold what love is that. Let's keep going. Look at this. Beloved, verse two, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know. We can be confident in this, that when he, Jesus, is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When Jesus is revealed, we will be like him? Why will we be like him? Is it because we've worked really hard on our holiness walk and we've got all the rules down now and we know exactly how to talk and exactly how to walk, exactly how to dress and not dress and speak and not speak? Is it because we've got all of that down and that's why we look like him now? No, you look like him because you see him. Because you've taken time to come and behold him. The call of God to be transformed into the image of his dear son, which is the call of God on every one of our lives, that call is accomplished not by you requiring more of you. That is not achieved by you sweating for it, by you working for it by you trying to implement some self-imposed religion and rule upon yourself that when you fall short, you stand there and you beat yourself over the head with condemnation and guilt and shame over and over. I missed it again, I missed it again, I missed it again, I missed it again. Yeah, you missed it again because you were depending on you to get it right and you can't depend on you. You can't. There's nothing in you strong enough for you to lean on. What am I supposed to do? Quit looking at you. Get your eyes over on to how much you are and have been and will always be loved. Because the love of God is Jesus. And Jesus is the love of God. Behold what manner of love. Look at the love. Behold Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. Because when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him. Looking like Jesus begins with looking at Jesus. Write that down. Looking like Jesus begins with looking at Jesus. You have to start there. You remember the book of Ephesians chapter five says, be ye therefore imitators of God as dear children. You have to finish that phrase. You have to finish that statement. Don't you dare stop at be ye therefore imitators of God. Don't stop there. That's not the end of that statement. Be an imitator of God as dear children. First of all, how are you gonna imitate something you've never seen? Where's that gonna come from? 
I don't know what it was about my childhood. I think it was because I was my father's play toy that I just sort of tended towards the theatrical. My dad, from the time I was so little, so young, he lived, we used to tease him, it was like he had the video camera surgically implanted to his shoulder and he just had it going all the time. And I'm thankful for it now because he's captured some amazing memories that we all share in and laugh and it's really great. But my dad used to set up these little scenes and it's not like normal home videos where it's kind of shaky and makes you a little nauseous to watch it. My dad was like Hollywood director level. And we would wait for you know, right sunlight. We would get good angles. We would do special effects. And it was always like, okay, now, Jeremy, 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 do this, do that. I want you to do this and say it like this. And then, okay, ready, set, go. And so my whole first riding of my bike, my, the first time I rode it without training wheels, the whole thing is captured like a documentary that would air on A&E or something like that <laughs> because it's just perfect. It, this video camera didn't have the built-in microphone. It had the kind with the wire on it. So my dad is standing there interviewing me, and it's not enough to just say, okay, Jeremy, get on your bike and ride, and I'll tape it. We're going to do like the whole pre-show interview. (laughs) And I had a pretty thick southern drawl at that time in my life, about whatever, four or five years old, and I, today is the first day that I'm going to be riding my bike without anybody helping me. And this is the parking lot where I will be riding around. Sir, please show them a round. (laughs) And my dad pans from right to left. I got all of it on tape. And because of that, my dad had me doing, doing things like that all the time. My dad had me doing impressions of people and impersonations of actors that lived in like the 1940s and 50s. I'm a four-year-old kid impersonating Jack Benny. Most of my generation doesn't even know who that is. I had no idea who that was. But my dad had these videotapes and old cassettes and I would listen to these things and he would have me come in and do this impression of Jack Benny or Groucho Marx. And, or, these people, I have no clue who they are, but he would put them in front of me and then say, okay, act like this guy. And I guess because of that, it just sort of tended towards like doing impersonations and voices and accents and stuff like that, which came in handy in high school. Um, I convinced a guy from another school one time I was from Russia and I was over here on some foreign exchange program. And uh, so that was kind of fun. Um, I played a Scottish guy in a play once. I played somebody from New York and all of that was because my dad just imparted all this into me. And I don't know why I told you all that stuff. Several years ago at our church, we had this big meeting that we called 30 days of glory and we went to church every day for 30 days and for long stretches of those 30 days there would be one speaker in particular now this particular guy was a deep south guy I mean like Louisiana south okay and his voice was perfect Louisiana told that you had to barely understand a man the whole time it was he just couldn't hardly understand it, but I just sat there and listened to him and listened to him for days on end and he didn't preach for just a little bit of time so we're listening to this guy for two hours a day six or eight days in a row I came out with a pretty good impersonation of him <laughs> which of course my parents had me do in church and it just never the whole dad's little play toy thing never seemed to go away 
Um, but the whole point of that is, that's a long way around saying this, if you want to be an imitator of anything, you're going to have to behold it. You're going to have to see it. And the reason you're going to have to finish that phrase, be ye therefore imitators of God as dear children, dear is not the way you see you. Dear is the way he sees you. Dear, precious. You ever wonder why you start letters like that? Every month we write a letter to the partners of our ministry and we start it like this, dear partner. And I think some reason in our minds that just means two. But it doesn't mean that. It's dear. You're, you're dear to us. You're precious to us. And as a dear child of God, that is a revelation of how he feels about you. And what do you do with a child that is dear to you? Sarah and I have little Justice James Pearsons that turned two years old two days ago. He is our dear little boy. This child is precious, precious treasure to us. And if we're away from him for any length of time at all, it hurts. It hurts. We just want to be so close to him. We want to be with him all the time. Why? Because he's dear to us. And if he's with us all the time, He's beholding us, and we're beholding him. And sooner or later, he's going to start saying stuff he's heard us say. He's going to start acting out in ways that he's seen us act. He's going to become an imitator of his parents because he's a dear child that's been kept close. Do you see what I'm talking to you about? Behold this love. Now go with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, I want to read something to you that Jesus said in verse 21. Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the reason we are here for a manifestation of Jesus. This is the reason we packed up all this stuff. This is the reason we put together this team. This is the reason we came to this church. This is the reason we called all of you and emailed you and Twittered about this every single day and put all the stuff on Facebook and said, come to Alma, come to Alma, come to Alma. And people said, where's Alma? What's an Alma? We said, don't worry about it. Just find it, look it up and get here. Why? We are in expectation for a manifestation of Jesus. Now, isn't this interesting that a manifestation of Jesus is so intimately and inseparably connected to the love of Jesus? Isn't that what he said? He said, I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will love him he will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. I will love him. What did I tell you about these two words tonight? I will. I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Manifestation means clearly seen. It means something that you can see. There's no confusion about it. The light is on, you see crystal clear. And Jesus said, I will manifest myself to him. 
a manifestation of Jesus. That is what is on our heart. That is what the Lord sent us here to do. Now, let, let's just play a game just for a minute. I don't know if you've ever seen any of these improvisational shows where the guys come up there and they say, yell out of this or give me a that, and they get something from the audience and they kind of play on that. I'm gonna let you yell something out to me here, okay? I want some of, somebody, any of you, to think of a situation, any situation, any hard, difficult, pressing situation, challenging on any level, that would not be completely, radically, totally turned around and changed for the better by a manifestation of Jesus. Ready to go, shout it out. Shout it, just, just anything. Any, any situation that wouldn't be fixed by a manifestation of Jesus. Anything. Manifestation of Jesus does all of this. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? I hope I'm making this clear. The point here is this. There is no situation. There is no circumstance. There is nothing that cannot be changed and forever altered by a manifestation of Jesus. Yeah, manifestation of Jesus, I get it. That's all nice, but you don't understand. I've been diagnosed with cancer. <laughs> you know what you need? A manifestation of Jesus. Because healing in your body is a manifestation of Jesus. You know, all that sounds great and it sounds wonderful and I'd love to see Jesus too, but we got some pretty huge bills that need to be paid. No, you know what you need? A manifestation of Jesus. Because your need being met by the hand of God is nothing more than God going, I love you! And I gave Jesus for you, the one who was rich, but for your sake became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. A manifestation of Jesus. Oppression in your mind, depression of any kind. You know what's unique? Somebody help me out. A manifestation of Jesus. There is no situation. There is no circumstance. There is nothing that you are going through presently or ever will go through in your life. It cannot be fixed, totally altered and changed forever by a manifestation of Jesus. And that is what we are after. Somebody hears me say this and say, okay, are you getting a little carried away? Yes, I am. Absolutely, I am. Go with me now to the book of Colossians. And as we begin to wrap this up, I want you to see some things. From the book of Colossians chapter one. I found myself in Colossians chapter one. Sarah and I found our ministry and our marriage and our entire lives in Colossians chapter one. Have you ever looked into the word of God and just found yourself and said, that's me? Listen to this, Colossians chapter one. Let's just begin reading in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. The Father has qualified us. You need to make note of this. You did not qualify yourself. You didn't do it. You could not do it. You might have tried to, but you didn't. You can't. It can't be done. He had to do it. The only one who had any right to judge you and condemn you chose instead to qualify you to be a partaker of his inheritance. Why? Why would he do that? Because he loves you. You need some other reason? Because he loves you. He qualified you to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Verse 14, in whom, 
So we're talking about his, the son of his love. In whom, in Jesus, we are having redemption. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now he introduced into this conversation the son of his love. Jesus has just come up in conversation. Now back in 2007, right after I had met Sarah, it was a very dangerous thing for Sarah just to come up in conversation. If I'm just talking to somebody and somehow directly or indirectly Sarah comes up, you better just sit down and listen because I ain't gonna shut up for quite a while. Why? I was carried away with this girl. Still am. But absolutely carried away. I didn't have enough to say about her. There weren't enough words to describe what I was going through on the inside, just the, the, the leaps and bounds and somersaults and cartwheels and spins and twirls that I was doing. I know it sounds real manly, but it was all on the inside because I was getting so carried away with this girl. And somebody comes and says, hey, I heard you met somebody. Uh, are you going to get married? Yeah, yeah, we'll get married. Are you in love? Yeah, you know. Does that sound like love? Tell me about her. Oh, she's, she's great. What if that's all you said? If you had good friends, they'd be telling you, let's stop and think about this. You're not carried away enough yet. But that's not how I was about her. I couldn't shut up about her. I couldn't quit talking about her. There was no taking this thing slow. I got to marry this girl. I got to marry this girl. And that's what I said. I told my parents that. We had never met her. She had never met them. And I'm sitting at dinner with my parents one night. Now, I have to tell you, my mom and my aunt, my cousin's mom, Max's mom, Max, my cousin, is here on the front row tonight. They had all kind of started to get involved in this thing, as moms and aunts and cousins do. And they're trying to kind of arrange a meeting and stuff, but it just wasn't happening. I mean, we weren't, we had never spoken to each other. None of none. none None of them had ever put us together or anything. But I was sitting at dinner with my mom one night, and she said, um, she and my dad were sitting there, and she said, Jeremy, you just do with this what you think you should do. I, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but I, I think you should call that Sarah girl. Well, it was three days before that that the Lord had spoken to me and said, you'll meet her in March, marry her in September. And I wasn't sure I was going to tell my parents. But when my mom brought that up, I just looked at her and said, really, you think I should call her? Yeah, I said, really, because I think I'm going to marry her. And she's like, oh, wow, uh, or, uh, okay, that's great, all right. But once we met and once we fell in love and started to get to know each other, there was just not enough to say. There weren't enough words to describe what was going on. You are about to witness that very same thing. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is so enamored with Jesus is so taken by Jesus, is so carried away with Jesus that there are not enough verses in this Bible to contain everything there is to say about him. So when Jesus just comes up in conversation, verse 13, delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love, in whom, by the way, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him, by who? By who? By Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. I love it. Those are the only two categories that Jesus is Lord over, either visible or invisible. 
So if it exists outside of one of those two, Jesus isn't Lord over it. But as long as it's either visible or invisible, Jesus is Lord over whatever it is. Can you just sense yourself getting carried away with this? Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things, all things, all things were created through him and for him. And he is, who is? Jesus is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. This word preeminence just basically means the very first person in line. The very first person in line. Remember when you were in elementary school and the teacher would say, go line up, and you fought with each other to see who would be first in line? You remember that? No? Really? It happens. Kids just claw and fight their way. And it doesn't just stop with elementary school. People fight their way to try to be first in line. First in line for the promotion. First in line just fighting and fighting and fighting. But listen to me. When it comes to any and all of these things, folks, the fight is over. There is no more fight. Jesus fought the fight, won the fight, and now he's the first person in line. And everything else, anything else is all behind him. That's Jesus. That's who Jesus is. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him, in who? That in Jesus all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy. He did this for you. He did this to change the way God sees you. Because until this happened, man was dead in his trespasses and sins. But the moment the price got paid, listen to this, the moment the price got paid, this is big. You need to understand the price that was paid. He started this whole thing off by saying, in him we have redemption through his blood. Just take another minute with this. Just listen to me. Stay with me on this. We have redemption through his blood. When you are beholding Jesus, you are beholding your worth. You are looking at what you are worth. You are beholding the value that God has placed on you. Scripture tells us in 1 Peter that you and I were not purchased with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with incorruptible things, the precious blood of Jesus. Here's what's, here's what's so funny and kind of difficult to wrap our minds around with a conference like this one and 10 services like these. Folks, there, there is no step one, two, three. Throughout this conference, you're not gonna hear me say, tonight I'm gonna give you the six keys to this or the three steps to that or the 12 keys to this thing, that, or the other. That's fine. We need keys and we need steps and all those things are great. But here's what's happened in all of our key giving and step taking. Looking at the principles, we forgot that the principle is supposed to reveal the person. So when you just require of yourself to do nothing but behold Jesus, I'm not looking at the steps to anything. I'm just looking at how much my God loves me. 
That's step one and 1,000. That's, that's what there is to it. Now you continue to walk in it, but I'm just looking at what he paid for me. And he's the one that gets to determine my value, not me. Since when does the object get to determine its own value? It's whatever the buyer is willing to pay. And it's the price paid that determines the value. So when you are beholding Jesus, you are beholding the value that the Father placed on you. Listen to this, he keeps going. I'm gonna skip down now to verse 27. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory. Somebody say the glory, the glory. Let me just give you a quick heads up. This is where we're going. Saturday night. It's hard for me to not preach Saturday night right now, but this is where we're going. The glory. Jesus is the glory. A manifestation of Jesus is a manifestation of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? It is the essence of God. It is that part of God that makes God God. And Jesus is the glory. God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of what? Glory. The hope of glory. I'll end with this story. I've got so much more here, but I believe we'll begin to wrap it up with this. Right after Sarah and I got married, my parents had asked me to preach a Sunday in their absence at their church. And I was preparing for that message like I would normally, given the opportunity to speak on a Sunday. You take Saturday and you just get in the Word and you find out what the Lord has. And I remember making notes, making an outline. And I remember stepping back and looking at that outline going, that is boring. And if the preacher knows it's boring, it's boring. The problem is when he doesn't realize it's boring. But if he knows it's boring... It really is boring. There was no unction on it. There was no anointing. And I just sat back and I was like, Lord, I do not know what to say. And that evening we were going to uh, a college and career service. Sarah had been asked to minister. And we sat, I sat in that service while she ministered the word of God that night. And she said something that sparked something in me. She said these words. She said, she was preaching on Thanksgiving. And she said, I always start my prayer. I always start talking to God by saying these words, Father, I thank you for Jesus. And man, it just lit something on the inside of me. And I got home and this is what the Lord was telling me to do. He said, I want you to preach Jesus tomorrow. I was like, okay, great. What about, G what about him? And he just said, preach Jesus. Absolutely, what would you like me to say? What, what part of Jesus, what, what are we gonna be talking about here? What about Jesus are we preaching? And he said, no, you're not getting this. Just preach Jesus. I have to say, I had a hard time understanding that. And it just showed something in me. It showed this serious lack of revelation of who Jesus was. And I, to this day, do not know how I ended up in Colossians chapter 1, but I did. And after I read all of that, I got down to that 27th and 28th verse where he said, God willed. God willed. You want to know what the will of God is? You go to verses that say God willed and find out what the will of God is. Listen to what he says. 
To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, this is where I found myself. This is where I found my life, our ministry, our marriage, everything. Verse 28, these three words, him we preach. Just preach Jesus. And I had to go back and I had to read all of Colossians chapter one because when he says him, it was all this stuff that he already said. That's who him is to him. Who is him to you? Who is Jesus to you? In the same way that if somebody had come to me and said, so you're gonna marry that girl, Sarah? Yeah, I think, yeah, probably. That's not very persuasive. And you might be able to answer that question. Jesus asked his disciples, Two of the most important questions that you and I will ever be asked in our entire lives. And he asked them back to back. He said, number one, who do men say that I am? And they answered and said, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a teacher. Some say you're this one and that one. And then he asked them another important question. He said, who do you say that I am? Now, those are the two most important questions. But the first one is only important in the light of the second one. Because what you know about Jesus, there will come a day if you dig deep enough and you behold him long enough, you are gonna see some things about him and you are gonna believe some things about Jesus and you are gonna find such a source of life in him that what everyone else says about him, what's a common uh, belief or tradition about who Jesus is, just doesn't do it for you anymore. Some religious traditional idea of who Jesus is just doesn't cut it for you anymore. Why? <clears throat> because Jesus himself has asked you, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and what did he say? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And then he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. What rock? The rock of the revelation of who Jesus is. There are, there's a lot of revelation in the body of Christ. A lot of things have been preached. A lot of things have been said. But if you want to find out if it's true, ask yourself and find out from the word, is it built on the rock of Jesus the Christ? You might be thinking, this is great, but I, I really need healing in my body. I need a revelation of healing. No, you need a revelation of Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because the revelation of God's will to heal comes through that revelation of who Jesus is, and it's built on that. The church is built on that. And it's him we preach. It's Jesus that we preach. And what we're going to do in every service throughout this meeting. Musicians, you guys come on back up. What we're going to do in every service throughout this meeting, every opportunity I get to speak to you, every opportunity Sarah gets to speak and minister to you, you're not gonna hear us say step one, two, three. All of that is fine. All of that is good as long as the principle reveals the person. Are you with me in that? Stand on your feet with me. Let's begin to wrap this thing up. Let's begin to close tonight, but I don't wanna do it without giving us an opportunity just to behold him. We are just going to behold Jesus. And I know this can be sort of a 
strange idea just to begin to try to wrap your mind around. But the reason that is, is because we get so wrapped up in the peripheral things that we forget to bring it back to Jesus. That's who our lives are about. This thing we call Christianity, it wouldn't go very far if there were no Jesus. Am I right? Jesus is who we preach. Jesus is who our eyes are on. The scripture tells us that we don't look at things that are seen. We're looking at things that are unseen. And you hear us talk about a manifestation of Jesus and you might think to yourself, yeah, that'd be great. I would, I would love it if Jesus came in the room. I'd love to see him with my own eyes. That's not what I'm talking about. And people get to the place where they're begging God laying there in that hospital room. God, Jesus, if you would just come in to this room and touch me, everything would be fine. Just heal me. Just come into this room and heal me. Just come into this room and lay your hands on me. You know what that is? That's faith in reverse because Jesus told us, it's better for you if I go away. Because if he goes away, now we're not dependent on what we see with these eyes. We can behold him. We can have a manifestation of him anytime we will meditate on and behold how much we are loved. Amen.